But the, the truth is at the early stage or even at any stage in your company where you're starting to plateau, just getting out there and, and doing the, the grunt work of making a sale with a customer is the best learning experience ever. Welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I'm stoked you've decided to join me on this journey to bring about a massive and positive change in the lives of others. Every week, you're going to join me behind closed doors, where I will introduce you to entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators from a variety of industries to learn how their contributions are impacting the lives of others and how they are having a game-changing impact in the world. Thanks for investing your time with me today. Now, Grace for Impact. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Mike Flynn. And if you're just joining us, I interview entrepreneurs and leaders who are using their platform to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And each guest is featured in a series such as Leadership, Mindset, or in this case, Getting Started. And I encourage you to go back, subscribe, and check out all of those other episodes and series because they are a buffet of wisdom waiting for you to experience and consume. Now, round three of the Getting Started series is with Michael Saka, CEO of Crew.co. And as I mentioned in the beginning of the show, I only just learned about Michael and his story, and I included him in this series because I believe his experience and insight will be valuable to any entrepreneur starting out or even those pivoting from one thing to the next. And we cover a lot in this episode, including how he is approaching taking over as CEO of Crew.co, some of the tactics he uses to bring in revenue, why empathy is a skill set every entrepreneur should develop, to increase their chances of winning business, why he operates with an anti-productivity mindset, and how that helps him and his team focus on results, and so much more. Don't be a podcast junkie. Bust out your pen and paper and take some notes. Brace for impact. Michael Sacco, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. I'm very excited to have you today, and I got to be honest with with everybody that's listening, you and I have never met before, never talked before. I was connected to you from a, a friend of yours who listened to the show and thought that you might uh, have some value to provide for the audience. And after researching you and and learning a little bit about your story and the fact that you're going to be part of the Getting Started series, which is special for the new year, I figured your story and what you're doing would definitely add tremendous value to the audience and have a big impact. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I am incredibly excited to be here. So thank you for having me on. It's my honor. Yeah, you're welcome. So as we were just talking about, I always kick things off with the superpower question, but depending on what episodes you've listened to, I've, <laughs> I've changed the question a little bit. Okay? okay, let's do it. So if you could pick any skill set that you currently possess and turn it into a superpower, what would it be? So I thought about this. You know, I, I, I listened to the show, and, and this is it, it's an amazing question. Um, but what I always came back to was empathy. I, I think in, in leadership, but then also in negotiation and, and any of our business dealings, empathy is always something that 
when I, when I can, when I can achieve it, I get better results. And when I don't, I often miss the mark. And so we can talk a bit more, but that would be, that would be something that as a superpower, I would love to enhance in myself. Yeah. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you're developing that skill set? And, and that superpower and elaborate a little bit more on, on what you mean by missing the mark when you're not being empathetic. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so there, there's two sides, right? So one is leadership and I, I've just stepped up into the CEO role at crew. Um, we're splitting crew, Unsplash and crew, uh, which are two of the companies that we've developed under the crew umbrella are, are splitting off and going to pursue their own avenues because they're both growing like crazy. Um, and so now I'm, I'm leading a team of about 15 identifying with each individual. Um, you have people that work in sales, you have people that work on the development of the product, you have people that work on customer support and being able to empathize with each of them and, and know what drives them, what motivates them. And also the struggles that they have helps me to be a better leader and to connect with them um, and inspire them to do great the work that they're doing, even if I don't exactly know how to do the work. You know, I come from a design background. Customer service is, isn't something that I, I can relate to on a personal level, but I need to. Interesting. Is that, is that something that the skill or the, the awareness that you have of the need to be empathetic and to empathize with your your team and people is that is that something that you have always had or or did you work with like a mentor or someone who who kind of saw that in you and maybe draw drew that out of you or did you have an experience where you wished somebody empathized with you and you said I'm not going to be like that person <laughs> sure <laughs> so it actually uh, started I think in business negotiations. So when you enter a negotiation um, or a contract, I started off um, as a freelancer and you start off with the benefit to yourself. And and that's where I really failed a lot because you go into a negotiation knowing what you want, but then also presenting what you want. And the other person doesn't necessarily care what you want. They want the benefit to themselves. And being able to empathize with their position, understand where they're coming from, and then actually speak to their needs, help us both get to that middle ground where we can come to a, a a great solution that works for everybody. Uh, but if I'm just going in only really recognizing what I my own needs, that's where I would often fall down in negotiations. Where is an example of a time where you went in kind of being self-oriented instead of other-oriented and completely failed? Yeah, I, I started off uh, running our, our partnerships at Crew, and we had a lot of, of inbound interest. And then we also, I was going out and finding outbound interest. And I, I won't mention company names, but there are companies that are much bigger than us that we would love to work with. And I started out by reaching out to them and I was never getting a response or we'd have an initial meeting. It would kind of tailor off. And I realized that I was talking about why it would be good for crew, why this partnership would be good for the crew brand or to grow our business. But when I realized that the person on the other end of the line didn't care if crew grew or didn't grow, um, but they wanted to know what we could do for them. Once I, I just started off with that, with what I felt was their position or asking questions that would get me to figure out where they were coming from and why they would even take this meeting. That helped me get, you know, 
get in front of people who were bigger than us, uh, but that we could solve problems for. Interesting. Now, so now that you've kind of developed that that at least thought process, have you formalized that into a formula, a checklist that you and your team review every time you go into a big meeting where you're developing this new relationship so that you know that you're you're properly positioned? Sure. No, now I have a new task list to do. Um, no, I, I haven't. That is a, it's a great idea, though. I, I tend to go in with more of a gut. I lead. I, that's just how I tend to, to enter conversations. And so I, I need to get better at it. That's something I, I need to improve is like checking off, you know, do we did we meet these requirements and did we ask these questions from a meeting? But I tend to go in without knowing much, kind of knowing the high level of where I think the conversation can go. And then I let that lead me in. Um, but we do miss, you know, when, when we take only a gut or an emotional approach, we do miss some of the finer details that are needed in larger contracts. Have you ever heard of Jocko Willink? No. He, he uh, has a you know, the number one podcast in iTunes right now, or one of the number ones called the Jocko podcast, but he, he's a New York times bestselling author. He wrote a book called how, uh, extreme ownership, how us Navy seals lead and win. He's a former Navy seal commander. And he was on my show back in episode 25 in the leadership series. And one of the things we talked about is the importance of, uh, having a checklist uh, when you're, you're, you know, and for him, it was like kind of a, a life or death thing initially, you know, making sure you had the right tools when you're out getting ready to go out into combat. And it, but he now applies that in, you know, his, his role as a consultant in, you know, working with these fortune 500 companies and even in his own business. And it's something that I think that we all should use. And maybe if you develop one for, uh, for making sure that you, the empathizers checklist or something like that. You can share it with our audience. You can you can hit me back up and say, "Hey, Mike, you know, here you go. Here's the list. You know, put it out there." Yeah, I, think that'd I love be powerful. it. Powerful. I love it. You didn't just one day wake up and and be asked to be the CEO of Crew. And by the way, I love Unsplash. <laughs> Thank I think you. It is amazing. Uh, you know, I mean, people need to know more about that and 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 learn more about Crew also as an organization, but. You know, why don't you tell us a little bit about why you're an entrepreneur and what the impact moment was that put you on this trajectory so that you were would be in a position mentally, emotionally, experientially to take over as CEO of Crew? Yeah, I think there's building blocks, right? There's building blocks in any career, any any path, any entrepreneur's journey. Um, and the first one for me was I was living in LA after college, working at a restaurant because I couldn't find anything else. And my roommate would wake up at noon. He he taught himself how to code PHP. He'd wake up at noon. He'd go to work for like four or five hours. He'd come home and he was making triple what I was making. Um, and they couldn't fire him because he built some essential code uh, for for his company. And he lived a very comfortable lifestyle because of it. And so I one day I finally, after like a year of watching him kind of come and go and me struggle, I finally just quit my job at the restaurant and started teaching myself with his help how to code and picking up clients. So that was the first step was was seeing someone else who was doing it well and then 
trying to, to kind of mirror my career after them. And then after that, it, it was going from one client to a bigger client to a bigger client to eventually running a small agency where we had clients like uh, Scholastic Books and, and Nike and Kobe Bryant it, to learn a lot of those business skills. So from going from like a front-end developer, designer, um, to actually handling a lot of the contractual negotiations, um, and then eventually getting a job offer from Mikel uh, to work at a startup, which is really what I always wanted to do, was have wake up every day. And instead of having 10 different um, clients, I always just wanted to focus on one project and make that awesome. What did you do for uh, Nike? And and did you do the same thing for for these brands like Kobe and, and, yeah. and others? So I started off as a, a designer, um, like web designer, right? So, so that's, that's where I started. We, we did some kind of front end work with Kobe Bryant's website. We did some WordPress work with Nike. And then by the time Scholastic came around, we were doing mobile development. So we were doing, it was like, this is years ago, but we were doing Sencha, uh, HTML5 applications. Uh, so we were working with them on that. And, uh, and then we got known as a Node.js shop. So we were doing a lot of application development and I would, would always write the front ends and, and do most of the design work. So In- interesting, yeah. you know, fortunately for a person like myself, I'm job security for you because I have no idea what that all means. So, <laughs> um, so you, along the way, what has been the biggest surprise that you've experienced in, in your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, I thought I'd be a designer forever. Uh, I thought that was it. Like I just, you know, you just stay on that path. You get better. You hone your skills. There's tons of work out there for designers and and anyone who can code anything. But when I I came to Crew, I ended up doing sales, and I I never really saw myself as a salesman. Uh, I never saw myself in a sales position. But that's that's essentially what I was doing. And we were able to. I mean, the sales department, which was me and one other, was was bringing in forty percent of our revenue for for the last couple quarters. And so. That's I never expected to be in that position. I always thought I would be in the product. And now you're literally the chief salesperson as yeah. the CEO <laughs> right. for Crew. I mean, so I mean, like you're at the you're you're the cherry on top of the cake. I mean, so so now why don't you tell a little bit more to to the audience about what Crew does because it, it's it's a little bit different than your typical freelance kind of economy business. Yeah, yeah. we've really tried to solve a lot of the issues for freelancers um, and for project owners. So the, we were, uh, Mikel started off, Mikel Cho is the the founding CEO um, of Crew. And he was a freelancer. He saw a lot of the problems that, that freelance life that comes up. So sourcing work, vetting work, filling out RFPs and SOWs, bidding on multiple projects and only landing a fraction of them. It takes a lot of time, especially when you're one person or even a small agency, because you also have to fulfill all of the work that you're doing. So, so the idea was, can we do a lot of that business development up front and allow people who are creative to do that, to just be great at being, uh, at doing creative work? And for project owners, a lot of times, you know, we see it, they're not um, first-time project owners don't always know how to run a project. And, and that causes a lot of delays and, and stuff. So we've set up a system where a project owner comes in and we give you a bit of a template to go by um, so that you have milestones, you have deadlines, you have check-ins, um, and you have crew. 
in order to to help ensure that your project goes smoothly. Um, and we ought to offer some protections for them. So the idea was we saw this emerging economy of freelancers. How do we provide services to make their lives better um, and take away some of the stress from freelancing? That's that's very interesting. I mean, it's, it's obviously a very... Uh, innovative way to serve that community but I'm sure that no doubt along the way you've you guys have had some setbacks and and challenges that you've had to to overcome what have been some of the the biggest setbacks that come to mind and what what have you learned from them that you are now applying going forward to to make sure that you can continue to scale and grow business would be easy without people, right? People often are the hardest part of running a business. And, you know, obviously we, we've uh, approached growth, we've approached marketing, we've hit plateaus and had to find new channels. But I think one of the biggest inflection points was when we as a company grew over 30. And all of a sudden we had to communicate the vision to everybody and make sure that everyone was on track and moving in the same direction. Now, 30 isn't uh, a huge company by any means, but there was a huge difference between 10. Um, I joined at 14 and and that 30-person company where we now had to start figuring out what kind of structure do we have? Who's leading these teams? Um, who's responsible? And what measurements are we taking for success? And that was one of the biggest things was implementing some organizational strategy as a company so that we could track and measure our success. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the Impact Entrepreneur told you to call. I want to talk a little bit about something that that you're passionate about, which is the the whole idea of anti productivity, as you call it. <laughs> and you know, another way that um, I've heard it said is by a guy named Dan Sullivan, who's got a very um, well known coaching organization called Strategic Coach, and he talks about it as the results economy. Sure. Yeah. And so I'd I'd love for you to elaborate a little bit more about this whole concept of anti-productivity and the results economy and uh, how that's changing the way business is being done, but how you also manage that same philosophy with a team of 15 or 30 people who have a job that needs to get done, but you still want to give them the autonomy that that you desire and that your your customers are seeking. Absolutely. And I think um, like my, I, I don't think it's the right move for everyone. Right. And, and I, I would be hard pressed to find a philosophy that was. Um, but this is what I found from my personal work. I, I come from a design background. Right. So I, I have this emotional side to myself and I know that uh, and that I, I need to follow that. So I, I, I have ebbs and flows in the quality of my work. Um, based on what I am 
excited to get into. And it doesn't have to be creative. It could be, you know, a negotiation with a new client, um, or it could be diving into the product and and finding out where we can make improvements. Um, but when I follow those passions, my best work comes out. And so the way that we do it at, at Crew um, is like, I personally don't keep a task list, but I know what I need to do. So we set high level numbers for the companies. We, we, for the company, we basically have three metrics for each quarter that we're working towards. And then we break those metrics down into what can each team do? So if each team achieves these specific metrics, then that will that will incre- that will affect the the global company. So it's kind of an OKR situation, uh, which with Google they they have the company OKR and they break it down. So we use that same methodology. And then under that, if people want to keep a task list of what they need to do to to achieve that, that's great. If they want to simply kind of go by their gut, but they're achieving the numbers that they need to, that's great as well. And we can measure each person based on the contribution to the company and and we can address each person as an individual. So if someone keeps a heavy task list and they're just falling behind and they, they want to improve that, that's something that we can work on. Or if someone is pursuing you know, big, big uh, company partnerships, but we're not landing them, we can address that too without having to address, did you do 50 out of 100 tasks that were set out? Right. So how do you coach that when you've got somebody who understands that they're working for a business that relies on the results economy? And as a result of that, they have the ability to have more autonomy and freedom to just do their work. And they're not necessarily beholden to a time clock, quote unquote. How do you coach that when when somebody isn't used to that or they're not uh, kind of performing along those lines? Yeah, I think you work. I mean, you obviously have to work with each person where they're at, um, but you always focus on the goal. And and so even if someone's not used to working that way, and again, this isn't a good fit for everybody. So we do try to bring people on who are comfortable working in this way and who are comfortable working towards a goal. It's figuring out what, method that works for them what mo- it's the empathy again right so like if having a task list every day is what they need uh, how do we achieve that at the company how how do we work together to form that for you or if you're just you know you want to just go off and do your thing we need to have check-in points one-on-ones and and to to measure the effectiveness even if you are not recording every single action that you're doing throughout the day we still need to to at the end of the day measure your results against our goals and it doesn't work for everybody you know some people come in and and they they want to just do their tasks but don't want to have that measured against a larger goal, that's not a good fit for every every employee. It also depends on the company size. If you're a larger company, you can afford to have more task-driven um, initiatives. If you're a smaller company, you need people who can wear many hats, but then also achieve the numbers. Because if you're not achieving numbers as a 10 or 15-person company, you're probably never going to make it to be a 40. Have you um, heard of the book, The Five-Hour Workday? No, 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 no. Um, I'm familiar with the philosophy, though. Uh, it was written by a guy named Stefan Aristotle. He's the CEO of a company called uh, Tower Paddleboards, which is down in San Diego. He's a shark, shark Tank investor, but great, great book. And I think that based on what you're talking about and the philosophy you guys 
live by, I think it would be something that you'd be interested in reading. Speaking about results, you know, when when Eric um, sent me some information uh, about you in preparation for our, our call today, he shared that in in last year, just just the first half of of 2016, you were responsible for 40% of the entire revenue for the company. So a couple of things come to mind when when I see that. Number one, how the heck did you do that? Okay. And number two, did the rest how did the rest of your team and the other leaders feel about that, about one person being responsible for such a large percentage of revenue um, for the company? And and did that kind of change your and other leaders thinking about what's required of your people going forward? Yeah. Um, so it was, it was myself and, uh, one other. So that, that was, I led the sales initiatives, essentially our partnership in sales initiatives. Um, and for Q2 and Q3, uh, the sales team, you know, was responsible for 40% of the revenue and it absolutely did change how we thought about, uh, the market because the people that we were dealing with on the sales side were much different than the people that we were marketing to. And so we have taken all of that, all everything that we learned from doing sales, from getting out with the customer um, and actually building those relationships with them, learning why they're coming to us, why they're using us. Sales allows you to do that because it's very hands-on. Um, and we were doing outbound sales. So we were we were writing cold emails, setting up meetings, and then and then converting them. And what we realized was the people person that we were originally marketing to was much different than the person who was successfully using us. And so we have changed our entire marketing strategy around that. Um, I don't think there was any like animosity around that. I think pe- we were genuinely excited to answer a question that we hadn't previously answered. We had made some gut assumptions, which is what you have to do at the beginning of the company. Um, but when we realized that Oh, this is this is actually who our customer is. It was kind of an aha moment where we we started to reshift the, how the company was positioned, and then what growth initiatives we were taking. We actually changed the channels that we were relying on to bring in business. What was the aha moment? What was the 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 instance where you were like, okay, we're on to something here? Yeah, so I, it was when um, we were able to land larger clients, and then actually. Talk. So we we had set up the the site. People were coming to us. They were buying, but we never actually learned who they were. Um, so I did I did a lot of work uh, running basically profile analysis on our customers. Then actually doing customer interviews um, and learning who they were. Why did they use us? Jobs to be done stuff. So what was the problem that we were solving, and what did we represent to them? And once we learned that. Uh, and we were able to bring that back. I did a big presentation for the company. We started to change things internally to to adjust to um, who our customer actually was. So you were really you entered into a relationship building mode with your customers we, we more than to. you had in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we we knew people came to us. We knew people spent money with us. We knew they were happy. Um, but beyond that. We had reached a, a, a cycle where our growth, which was largely content driven, was starting to plateau a bit. That channel was starting to plateau, and we needed to find something else. Um, but if you don't know who your customer is, it's hard to decide what channel is going to be next. So, 
when it comes to running business, especially today, you know, there there's this constant battle between the old and the new, the conventional wisdom and the the outside the box thinking. So, what are some of the the conventional wisdom chains that that you guys have to grapple with on a regular basis in order to continue the building the momentum um, to scale the business the way you want to? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Um, sales. Sales is, is something that I see a lot of companies avoid. We Everything's trying to be automated, automated marketing, automated sales. But the, the truth is, at the early stage or even at any stage in your company where you're starting to plateau, just getting out there and, and doing the, the grunt work of making a sale with a customer is the best learning experience ever. And we avoided it for a while. You know, I came in as as partnerships. So I was looking at agencies and larger companies. Can we form a partnership with them? Um, but what we found was once we actually just started approaching it as a sales problem, um, that's when we learned a ton. Hmm. So earlier you talked about building blocks and, and you're you are um you're going to be featured in the Getting Started series. And so I'd love for you to maybe spend a couple of minutes talking about some of the building blocks that maybe people that are transitioning from, from a, a career working for a company into a role as an entrepreneur or, or even being an intrapreneur within a company and, and building something there. What are some of the building blocks that they need in order to set up a foundation to scale on? I guess there's a couple couple things, right? If you're leaving your company, becoming a bit risk averse is important or setting yourself up to be risk averse means making sure that you have a stable support group and that you're not putting yourself in a dangerous position uh, because things are slower than you would imagine most of the time. You know, we, we hear a lot of stories about explosive growth, but there's often eight years of work behind that explosive growth that actually caused it. And um, it's not as good of a story, but there's there's always a, a lot of unknowns and setting yourself up so that you're able to deal with those unknowns is incredibly important for your mental health. Um, and I think the other is is getting getting ready uh, for the journey. So being healthy, being in a good position in your life so that you can dedicate an abnormal amount of time to what you're about to do for a longer time than you would often expect. Is that something you learned the hard way? Is there a story behind that advice? <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I started, I I don't. My wife hated me, um, <laughs> but when I when I left like the restaurant, I started learning how to code. I was just working all day, all night, you know, fifteen, eighteen hour days, uh, just because I was only making pennies on the dollar, um, and I had to grind out so much work. But in that grinding is where I, I I grew all of the skills that I needed. Now I was 26. I, I was I was a bit later than than a lot of the people that we we often hear from in starting out on this this journey. So I had a lot of catching up to do, or at least I felt I did. But it took me about two or three years of just grinding through it and and um, probably having my wife hate me to to where I I could start to stop for dinner at 5 p.m. And I don't think it's a healthy way to go at all. But if I had set myself up to be, you know, to have a little bit of savings, to to actually be prepared for this journey and to prepare the people, my family around me to be more of a support group, um, it probably would have been a lot easier. Yeah, there's a great book uh, called Pivot 
by by a gal named Jenny Blake. She worked at Google, and then she p- pivoted into a, a different role on her own, and she kind of lays out the whole kind of roadmap on, on how to pivot, basically. And it's a really, really great book that addresses some of those very same things that you just talked about. So here's the Peter Thiel question I was talking to you about <laughs> earlier, okay? As we as we wrap begin to wrap up our conversation today, which has been amazing, tell me something that is true that almost no one agrees with you on. That is a fantastic question. So... Peter Thiel is way smarter than me. <laughs> I mean, man, that's it's a tough one to to get right here. I mean, if if we were just looking back on our conversation today, people need to trust themselves more um, than we often do, and I think a lot of our our productivity and our need for it is really a lack of of trust in ourselves. And I mean, that's, that's what kind of goes back to not keeping to-do lists. I tend to rely on myself, my body, and to, to kind of guide me to where I need to be. And I think having that, that faith and that, that trust, um, even on the small things, it leads into the big things. Hmm. Totally. Very interesting. I, I love it. And, you know, and that is, that is kind of contrarian to how most people think you should operate. I mean, most people live and die by their to-do list, you know, and, and, and it, it can be something that can definitely be suffocating. So Michael, you've got this great business. You've got your friends and family, you've got community, et cetera, but how will you measure your life at the end of the day? What do you want people to remember you by? I don't think I figured that out yet. I struggle with that a lot. That's a really hard one. Um, I mean, I would love to to give back more and be remembered for the impact that I have on other people. But I often find that my busy day gets in the in the way of that. You know, I'd love to be able to dedicate more time to helping people um, in whatever capacity I can. And I feel that I often fail at that right now. Um, I hope as I get older, I'm able to be better at giving back with my time. Um, to help people who really, who really need it, who really need that help. It's something I struggle with. So it's a really good question. Well, I, I appreciate that. In the words of Yoda, there is no try, only do. <laughs> good point. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Michael, I want to say thank you for uh, for being on the show today and, and impacting our listeners. It's been a, a great conversation. I think a lot of people will get uh, a lot of value out of the stories that you've told. You're a great storyteller, by the way. And I, I, I'm confident that when you when you build that empathizers checklist and share it with the world, it will be an incredibly powerful tool. So thank you for, for being on the show today. Well, how thank can you people, so much. How can yeah. people connect with you? Well, go to crew.co. Obviously, if you have a project or if you want to get some, get some work, uh, go to crew.co and we have all the information there. You can follow me on Twitter uh, at Michael Saka. Um, or if you if you have anything that you want to talk about, shoot me an email. Um, just michael.saka at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Michael. And we look forward to hearing back from you about that checklist. <laughs> thank you, Mike. <laughs> Michael, thank you for joining us on the show today. We look forward to seeing that empathy checklist once you develop it. And I will follow up with you. I'm Mr. Tenacity, so you can be assured of that. If any of you listeners missed any of the key points, we've got you covered at theimpactentrepreneur.net 
forward slash 43 for all the key points and highlights of our conversation. And while you're there, be sure to check out the Lawton Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. They are awesome. They're rock stars and we couldn't do this show without them. And in the meantime, until we meet again, go make an impact.